Hello, weary passengers, and welcome back to The Drifter. I'm your host, Jenny. I do apologize for my voice. I've had a sinus infection the last week here, so I'm sorry that I do sound a little bit off, but let's get into the origins of Valentine's Day. Tonight, we set sail for ancient Rome, where we will learn about the origins of what we now know as Valentine's Day. I know a day of love isn't exactly what you think of when you are discussing the topic of dark history, but believe me when I tell you, there was nothing romantic about the beginnings of the now love-filled holiday. Now if you would please step aboard and find your seat, we will depart. Valentine's Day Celebrated every year on February 14th with declarations of love, thousands of flowers, and don't forget those mystery-filled chocolates sold in giant heart-shaped boxes. This day sees thousands of weddings and proposals every year. Even school-aged children get in on the fun, creating cute boxes to house all those little Valentine's cards and candies classmates will be handing out. It is the ultimate celebration of not just romantic love, but of love between family and friends as well. But long before the card and candy companies ruled this day, there was a very different celebration happening in ancient Rome. Lupercalia was a festival celebrated on February 15th by the ancient Romans. This festival's goal was to purify the city and bring health and fertility to the people. The origins of Lupercalia aren't exactly clear, but it is believed to be connected to the ancient myth of the founding of Rome and has been celebrated from at least the 6th century BC. The myth of Rome's founding has a few different variations, but the core of the story is as follows. King Aemilius ordered that his sister's newborn twin boys be tossed into the Tiber River as punishment for her breaking her chastity promise. The servant who was charged with this task took pity on the babies and placed them in a basket to be sent down the river rather than drowning them. The basket carried the babies, Romulus and Remus, downstream, guided safely by the river god, Tiburnius, until they became entangled in a fig tree. There, a she-wolf took the boys and nursed and cared for them, in a cave at the base of Palatine Hill, where Rome would later be founded. Romulus and Remus would later be adopted by a shepherd and his wife. They would return to the cave where the she-wolf had cared for them and named the cave Lupercal. So it is said that Lupercalia came about as a tribute to the she-wolf and the fertility god, Lupercus. Please note that according to historians, Romulus and Remus were most likely not real people, and we can't say for certain whether Lupercalia actually originated with them. But this mythological beginning of Rome was passed down orally for generations before it was ever put on paper. So this beginning of Lupercalia was the belief of the ancient Romans. This festival did not include any roses or cheap chocolates. It was far more violent and promiscuous and would be considered extreme and inappropriate by today's standards. The festival would begin in Lupercal Cave, where Roman priests called Luperci would ceremonially sacrifice two male goats and one dog. The gender of the dog was not mentioned anywhere that I could find, so I'm not exactly sure of the reasoning behind the sacrifice of the dog, 
other than to possibly represent the she-wolf. After the sacrifice was complete, the blood from the knife would be smeared on the foreheads of two naked priests. The priests would then forcefully laugh uncontrollably as the blood was wiped away with a piece of lamb's wool that had been soaked in milk. This was part of a cleansing ritual to bring laughter and happiness to the people in the coming year. After the sacrifices were complete, a great feast would begin. When the feast was all over, the priests would take the hides from the freshly sacrificed goats and cut them into strips. These strips were known as thongs, or februa. If that second one sounds familiar, it is because it's a possible origin for the month of February. Once the thongs were all cut, they would hand it out to men, who would then proceed to run around the town naked, whipping any woman they could come across with them. Now, if you're a lady listening to this, the thought of being chased by naked men and whipped with the hide from an animal who was walking around mere hours ago probably sounds awful. But to the women of ancient Rome, they would willingly and happily be lashed by the thong-wielding naked men. For them, the lashings promised fertility and easy birthing of children in the year to come. They saw it as a sort of blessing from the fertility god. There was also a matchmaking ceremony where men would pull the name of a woman from a jar. The participants would then couple up and proceed with intimate acts. These randomized couples would stay together until the next year when Lupercalia came around, but those who actually fell in love would get married and go on to start families. Over the years, and with the introduction of Christianity, Lupercalia was toned down. The nakedness of the event lost its popularity, and women would only be struck on the hands rather than wherever the whip-wielder could reach. Lupercalia is still celebrated to this day by some pagans, but mostly in private. Now that we have explored the ancient festival of Lupercalia, where exactly does it fit in the origin story of Valentine's Day? For that, we have to look at the mass conversion to Christianity. In 313 AD, Emperor Constantine issued the Edict of Milan, which recognized the practice of Christianity. A mere 10 years later, Christianity became the official religion of the Roman Empire. With this shift, the church started trying to convert pagan traditions into ones more in line with Christian belief. So at the end of the 5th century AD, Pope Galatius abolished the celebration of Lupercalia and replaced it with St. Valentine's Day in celebration of his martyrdom. The legend of St. Valentine has a few different variations. In fact, there might have been two people, or more, by that name, who met a terrible end. Let's start with the more popular variations of the tale. In the 3rd century AD, Claudius II was the Emperor of Rome, and Christianity wouldn't be recognized openly for another hundred years. Although people were quietly practicing the religion, Valentine was supposedly arrested for secretly marrying Christian couples, and in some cases he was doing this as a way to keep men from being sent to war. At the time, if you were married, you would be relieved of that duty. Another version is that he was simply openly trying to convert people to the Christian faith. 
all of this being illegal. So when he was caught, he was jailed for his crimes. While in jail, he somehow developed a friendly relationship with Claudius II. Valentine got too comfortable in his newly formed friendship and attempted to convert the emperor. Claudius became enraged by this act and demanded that Valentine denounce his Christian faith. When he refused, Claudius sentenced Valentine to be beaten with clubs and then beheaded. His sentence was carried out on February 14th. Scholars aren't sure of the exact year, but it was around 270 AD. In another version of the story, he was jailed once before the, this time that led to his demise. During this stay in jail, he was said to have healed a blind girl. The girl either being the daughter of the judge or a jailer. In one version, the judge challenges Valentine to prove his faith and heal the girl's ailment. Valentine then placed his hands over the girl's eyes and prayed. She was then healed of her blindness. The judge was so elated that he converted to Christian faith and released all the Christians being jailed, including Valentine. This story also has a darker version as well. In this version, Valentine is the cause of the girl's blindness. It is said that the day before his execution, he maimed the child, and out of guilt and regret, he prayed with her and God healed her. He then pinned a note on the girl, saying, From your Valentine, before he was sent to the executioner. Although there are several versions of this story, and Valentine is a bit of an elusive character, he really did exist, and the date of his execution is consistently recorded as February 14th, with debate on the year. As far as the possible second Valentine, Claudius is said to have sentenced two different men with the same name, Valentine, to death around the same time. These stories were sparked possibly by one or both men, even though Valentine can be found on the list of martyrology kept by the church. And archaeologists have unearthed Roman catacombs with an ancient church dedicated to St. Valentine, complete with many artifacts that are still around to this day. Some still believe he was just made up by the Pope Galatius as an attempt to end the pagan practices for good. I'll leave that up to you to decide, weary passengers. Whoever he was in life is unclear, but in death he became the patron saint of love, young people, happy marriage, epilepsy, and beekeepers. Valentine's Day, however, wouldn't be associated with the lovey-dovey context it is today until around the 14th century. The practice of giving flowers and cards began in the 1600s. By the 1800s, here in the U.S., we started seeing the beginning of more mass-circulated cards and candy. In 1850, Esther Howland, now known as the mother of the American Valentine, started making and selling the first Valentines out of her family's stationery shop. These cards were heart-shaped and covered in lace. They featured poems, cherub imagery we would recognize today as Cupid. Esther literally hit the jackpot with her creations. She was making $100,000 of gear. That's almost $4 million in today's money. In 1868, the now familiar chocolate company Cadbury sold its first heart-shaped box of chocolates. 
these traditions are still alive and well today. Our modern version of Valentine's Day has come a long way from Lupercalia, but there are still some influences from the ancient celebration that are still used today. For example, the colors red and white were used to represent the blood for the sacrificial animals and the milk-soaked wool. We are still coupling up and celebrating, although without randomly drawing names from a jar. Modern Valentine's Day has taken on more of the traditional pagan ideas and has become less about honoring the martyr Saint Valentine. Although his bravery in marrying those who were not allowed is quite romantic. Some modern churches encourage their congregations to skip out on the love-filled day because it is now far from the day Pope Galatius intended it to be. But whether you are pagan or Christian, one thing can be agreed on, is that consumerism is now the heart of Valentine's Day. In fact, in 2021, Americans spent over $28 billion on Valentine's gifts proving that we all want to make the ones we love feel special. And on February 14th, flowers, chocolates, and cards are exactly how we do that. Outside of Lupercalia and St. Valentine himself, there is one other figure we have adopted as the mascot of Valentine's Day. That cute little cherub who flies about shooting people with his arrows of love. I'm sure most of you knew immediately that I'm talking about Cupid. But Cupid wasn't always portrayed as the chubby little cherub we know today. Before he was Cupid to the Romans, he was known as Eros to the Greeks. Cupid and Eros are almost identical in terms of they were both the god of desire, erotic love, attraction, and affection. Both carried a bow and arrows. The arrows served two different purposes. Some would make people fall in love, and some would cause people to develop aversions instead. As far as image, they were said to be handsome with beautiful wings. They do start to differ when it comes to their parents. Eros's parents were debated, and several couples are in the running, including Aphrodite and Zeus, which would make Zeus not only his father, but his grandfather as well. Cupid is mostly believed to be the son of Venus, the Roman goddess of love, and Mars, the Roman god of war. If we place this scenario into the Greek mythology world, Eros would be the son of Aphrodite and Ares. Greek and Roman mythology mirror each other in most cases. But since we're mostly referring to the god of desire as Cupid, we will explore one of Cupid's allegories that I feel best describes him as the mascot of Valentine's Day. The Love Story of Cupid and Psyche Psyche was a beautiful, mortal Roman woman. So beautiful, in fact, that she made even the goddess of love jealous. Venus was so angered by Psyche's beauty that she sent her son Cupid with his arrows to make Psyche fall in love with a monster. When Cupid found his way to Psyche, he became entranced by her beauty, and instead of condemning her to a life with a monster, he decided he would marry her himself. This marriage came with a big precondition, however. Psyche must never see what her husband looked like. 
Cupid was afraid that if she saw he was a god, their love would never be equal. Psyche went along with it, until she fell pregnant. The thought of not knowing who she shared her bed with, and soon a baby with, was too much. She crept up on Cupid as he slept with an oil lamp. She did manage to see who her husband actually was, but he awoke and startled her. She accidentally spilled oil on him and Cupid was burned. He fled away in anger that his bride had broken her promise. Psyche set out to find Cupid, but instead she found his mother, Venus. Venus set forth three impossible tasks for Psyche to complete if she was ever to be reunited with Cupid. Against all odds, and with some help, Psyche surprised Venus and managed to complete the tasks, although the last task ended with Psyche falling into a deep sleep. Cupid, now healed from his burns, flew to his bride and broke the spell she was under. He knew now that if Psyche was willing to complete those tasks just to be with him, that their love could indeed be equal. He then fed Ambrosia to his love, making her immortal. Soon their baby was born, and she was named Pleasure. Psyche was a term for soul. So together, love, soul, and pleasure have been making a mark on mortal hearts ever since. Cupid transformed into the childlike figure we know today around the Victorian era, when our modern Valentine's Day became more popular. He adorned early Valentine's cards, and his image continues to grace us on Valentine's merchandise. Well, weary passengers, we have reached the end of our Valentine's journey. I sincerely hope you enjoyed the trip. Please grab a box of complimentary mystery chocolates as you depart. I wish you all a happy Valentine's Day. Take care. Thank you for listening to Adrift in the Dark. For more content and pictures from the show, you can find me on Instagram and my new Facebook group at Adrift in the Dark Podcast. <laughs>